0: Welcome and good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the lead pastor here, and we really do count it an honor to worship with you this morning. I'm going to ask you to begin by doing, uh, doing me a favor. I would like for you to just close your eyes. Nobody's going to mess with you. Just close your eyes. And we're just going to take one minute of silence, one minute of, of quiet. And maybe you just want to ask God to, to speak to you, to begin to open yourself up to whatever he might want to say to you today. And so I've got to watch. I'll watch the time for us. And let's just take one minute of quiet. Okay, some of us, about 10 seconds, we're in, we're thinking, is that a minute yet? <laughs> for some of us, that may have been the most silence, the most quiet we've had in ever, or weeks. I want to ask us to just continue to do something that is probably a little unusual for you, but there was a there's an ancient practice of, of matching the rhythms of prayer to the rhythms of of our breathing. And it's this, just breathe in and breathe out. And as, I, as I'm talking, just begin to, to just kind of create a rhythm in your breathing for yourself. Just where you're sitting, doesn't have to be a deep breath, just breathe in and out and begin to notice that. The scriptures have these kind of interesting dynamics. We are, we are instructed and, and even called by God, His Beloved his beloved. And then we're told to be loved. Jesus' last command was love people the way I loved you. But well, we can't really love people until we've known his love and and this what it is to be loved, beloved. And so what I want us to do is we're as you're breathing, as you breathe in, just pray the word be And back out, loved. In, be, and out, loved. That first word, be, just keep praying as I'm talking. Be. It's not doing anything so often. We feel like we have to do things to be loved. It's the way a lot of human love works. And, and so we feel like we have to earn it. We have to, to do something to be worthy of someone's love. To be worthy of God's love. And we get caught running and doing and doing and doing. And to realize that there is life simply in being. And then loved. To be Loved. To allow yourself in that place of being without being productive, without doing anything, without accomplishing anything, without speaking anything, you are loved by God. Breathe in that love. Be loved. Breathe in the love that the Father has for you as you are, not as you think you should be, as you are. His love for you in your weakest moment, in your moment of failure and disappointment and hurt and success and joy. Breathe in what it is to be loved in your mind, in your heart. (laughs) Breathe in the love that God has for you in your body, to feel God's love for your body. Even as a guy, I've felt lots of things for my body, rarely is it love, even as a man. And while I can't speak from experience, all of the research says it is even worse for you ladies. What it is it to be loved by God in your body. Only as we experience this love are we able to then be love for others. To answer that call, to step into that. To be loved. its what's missing, I think, in so many of our lives. When Jesus started to invite people to follow him, he stood up in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, and he said, come to me. Come to me, everyone who is weary and carrying heavy burdens. Come to me, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. And let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and the burden I give you is light. I followed Jesus for a long time. I've heard this and taken comfort in it, but it has not defined for many years and in many times the way that my Christian life looked. I love Jesus, but restful, light, easy is not how I would describe it. We said last week that that Jesus was a rabbi, a teacher, and that every rabbi had two things. They had a yoke. A yoke is, is the wooden harness that two oxen would be strapped together to, to be able to guide their work and multiply their efforts. Now he doesn't, a a rabbi doesn't actually carry around a wooden beam shaped to the oxen's back, but it is the set of teachings and way of living that the rabbi demonstrates that is known as their yoke. And then every rabbi would have disciples, apprentices, followers. And their job was to learn and take on the yoke of the rabbi, to learn the rhythms and way of life and teachings of the rabbi. And as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, what we're all called to be, then my life looked like a lot of things. Stressed? Yes. Worried? Yes. Anxious? Yes. Fearful? Yes. Heavy and burdened with expectation and obligation? Yes. Restful? No, light, easy burdens, easy, not at all. And I I came to this conclusion, either Jesus is pulling a bait and switch, or I miss something. Either Jesus is playing games, trying to attract us with promises that he has no intention of fulfilling, or I'm missing something. I I came to the conclusion that it was me, not him. I don't really see Jesus as a liar. It doesn't fit his character. Chances are I'm missing something. And I think what I was missing is, is something we talked a little bit about last week. It's in John 14 when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I wanted the life that Jesus offered, and I wanted to know the truth, but I didn't really want to live the way Jesus lived that didn't seem all that reasonable. I wanted to to operate in my rhythm and my dreams and pursuing my ambitions and accomplishing my goals and going after my success my way and just know the truth and beliefs of Jesus and and hopefully that would lead to the life that Jesus promised. I wanted to, you know, do the church thing and be kind and nice to people and, and have this life and promises of Jesus But this whole way of Jesus, I don't don't know about that. And yet, at the beginning and end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and 7, we hear that he's teaching and saying, this is something that has to be practiced. See, in the South, we're really good at this. Separating things that can't be separated, right? In good theological terms, it's called orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy means right beliefs. And in the South, we're really good about arguing over the right beliefs. And we ask people what they believe. And we think that if we can believe the right thing about the Bible, and believe the right thing about God, and believe the right thing about Jesus, and believe the right thing about heaven and hell, then that's what's important. And yet there's this other half, this other side to the coin that we miss. And it's this whole thing called orthopraxy, right practices, the right way of living. We've missed out on something. And I think that he is inviting us back. Because what this miss out, the thing that we've been missing out on, what it's led to, is frantically hurried lives in a perpetual state of distraction. We have found ourselves perpetually distracted and frantically busy. I mean, chances are in the last week someone asked you how you were doing, and you said, good, just busy. Good, just busy. In our culture, busyness is now connected to worth and value. The last thing that anyone we would want anyone to know if they happen to call us on Saturday afternoon and wake us up from a nap. Did I wake you up? Oh, no, no, I'm good. I was just, you know, I wasn't napping. I don't nap. I don't have time for a nap. I'm too busy. I'm too important to nap. Think about it. Like, do you remember what it was to be bored? I mean, like, pre-2007, pre-internet, bored standing in line at the grocery store or the coffee shop, right? And there's this line of people in front of you, and you couldn't pull out your phone, and you just had to stand there. And the extroverts would start a conversation, and the introverts are sitting there thinking, Dear God, why is this person talking to me? Please make them stop. Like, do you remember the, the car rides? The long car rides. Looking for the letters of the alphabet on license plates and signs. And and looking for anything. Giving your kids Benadryl so they sleep. I didn't do that. Um, Melatonin now. They're too old. Do you remember boredom? I, I, I can remember summer's. And days that dragged on and being so bored. And I can't remember the last time my kids told me they were bored. Like really bored. Like for more than five minutes. Boredom provided us an opportunity to be present in our world. It it forced you to look around and see what was around you, to see the people around you, to notice the the beauty and the truth of the world around us. It provided a a moment to be present to God, to our own souls. It it forced us to to talk to God. You get bored enough, you start talking to him. And I, and I said last week, I don't know that we can really pray quickly, but I would also add that it doesn't take a long time to pray. You just have to have a slow enough mind and heart to pay attention to him, to become aware of his presence. It can happen in an instant. We just don't have any of those instances anymore. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't. Want to go back to a pre-digital age. I told you last week, sold the Apple Watch, took email and social media and games and shopping apps all off of my phone. There's really no point in picking it up in between anything unless I need to contact someone. So it's kind of pointless now, but I don't want to go back to the days before all of these advantages, but I wonder what we're trading for them. I mean, they give us these advantages, and yet they take our ability to be present. I mean, social media is wonderful for talking with someone on the other side of the world. And it is this massive wall between us and the people in the same room. Seventy-five percent of young people answered yes when asked if they pick up their phones the moment they don't have something else to do. Seventy-five percent. I don't know how they defined young. Probably under 75 years old. Because I've watched it in my parents' generation, my generation, and every generation below. And we've been robbed of the ability to be present to God, to notice Him, to see Him, to hear Him. We've been robbed of our ability to be present to other people, whether it's sitting across from each other at the table for a meal. You realize that sitting with people for a meal is not actually about the food, right? Like, and if, if you have a family, you should be doing this. It is this massively important thing for the well-being of children, Sitting together around the table, it changes things, but it's not the food. It's about being present to one another. And yet we are sitting around a table staring at little screens, unable to be present to the people around us. We sit down on the couch at night with the people we love and we pick up our phones. And we'll have two or three screens in front of us. Phone, computer, tablet, TV, all robbing us of our attention, car ride. We don't know how to be present to ourselves, our own souls. All of the noise is drowning out God's voice. perpetual noise is making it harder and harder to hear God, to feel God, to sense God. And we can never do what he asks us to do if we don't know, if we don't hear him. And we, and we wonder sometimes as followers, why am I so busy? Why am I so hurried? Why am I so anxious? Why don't I hear God? And he says, well, because it's never been quiet enough for you to hear me. The alarm goes off as this terrible, horrible noise. And we immediately turn on music and get to the busyness of the day. Or the TV comes on and we get in the car and the radio or or is already on. And it stays on until we turn it off. And as soon as we get into the office or wherever we're going, the headphones go in. And then we get home and... And TV's back on, and we use it to fall asleep, and and it's just noisy constantly. We're forgetting the sound of his voice, and at the basics of our faith, of the life of following Jesus is, is really just, what's he asking you to do? Do you have the courage to do it, and whose help do you need? Like, if you follow those three questions, your life will never be the same. The problem that happens for many of us is that our life is so busy and noisy, we never hear what he's asking us to do. And so we just go with whatever we want to do and the ways that we want to do it for as long as we want to do it or until it causes us enough pain to figure out something else to do. And he's inviting us to come to him, to find rest in him. To find life in Him. We need a way to rediscover our own souls. To to rediscover the presence of God. The truth and beauty of the world around us. And the people around us. Lent is a 40 day season leading up to Easter. That is designed to be a time of shifting our focus back to God. As we prepare to celebrate the resurrection. People fast from various things or they add little things to their lives or serving or prayer or whatever it is as a way of just shifting focus and attention. And during this season where it's about our attention on God, I think there is one thing that is killing us. We said it last week. It's the hurry in our lives. Hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil out to kill and steal and destroy our lives. It destroys our souls, it destroys our bodies, it destroys our relationships, it destroys everything about us. It is the devil. And we need to find a way to unhurry our souls and our lives. And we said that it's it's in this way of God, that in the adding of the way of God to the truth of God, we find the life of God. In the way of Jesus, added to the truth of Jesus, we enter into the life of Jesus. We can't skip the way. But I, I think what's happened is we've read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories of Jesus' life in a certain way. And we've, we've gone to them looking for principles to fix our life. We've gone to them looking for ideas. We've gone to them looking for what Jesus teaches us. But at the heart, they're stories. They're, they're biographies of a sort biographies of Jesus' life. And maybe if we would just reread them as biographies, we might see something new emerge. See, when you read a biography, I don't know if that's something you like to do, but if you read a biography, you usually do it for one of two reasons. One, you want your life to look like the life of the person you're reading about. Like, I want to have more courage or strength or success in my life so I want to read about this person who had those things or you're reading about someone's life that you hope yours never ends up like and you're looking for the things to avoid so you're looking to emulate someone you're looking at what did they do you're reading these stories of their day-to-day lives of the regular habits and practices you're you're looking at where they went to school and what they did and how they did their day if they if they got up Uh, if they if they skip breakfast you know you're throwing out your yogurt and if if they took a nap in the afternoon you're putting a couch somewhere where you could do that or you're, you're figuring out a way if they listen to classical you start listening to classical you're just doing what they did figuring out the little pieces because I mean that's what a life is made of right A life is made up of these tiny little things, these seemingly mundane things added together over time. And you're looking for the tiny and the little and the day-to-day things that they did. Because if you want your life to change, you have to change something you do every day. And so when we go to the Gospels as biographies, some habits and patterns begin to emerge from Jesus' life. He did life a certain way. It was very different from the way we do life. It was very different from the way the people around him did life. Now, this way of life is his yoke, his set of teachings and ways. But, it, you know, some people, I like to call them the habits of Jesus. Some people call them disciplines or even spiritual disciplines. And, I understand that in our culture today, in our world today, discipline has this negative connotation. It sounds like punishment or it sounds like a bad thing. But the the truth is, you're only as free as you are disciplined. You're you're only as free as you are disciplined. As you discipline your body, it has more freedom to do things it couldn't do before. As you discipline your mind to learn, your mind accomplishes and is able to do more for you. But it's just about this rhythm, right? So a discipline, just any discipline, not a spiritual discipline, is, a, is any activity that, that you can do today, right now, that will enable you to do something in the future that you can't do right now. An example, I, I am physically not able to walk out of here and go run a marathon without ending up in the hospital, I mean, I could probably force my body to do it, and it would be destructive and painful and terrible. But I can jog a mile. I can walk another mile after that. I could do that today. And if I did that every day for two weeks, then I would be able to increase that a little bit. And over time, by disciplining my body with a little bit more and a little bit more doing what I can do now then some point in the future I would be able to do what I can't do right now. That's the discipline. Now, philosopher Dallas Willard takes this and he begins to help us understand spiritual disciplines or the habits of Jesus when he writes this. These are the activities of our mind and body purposefully undertaken to bring our personality into to- and our total being Into cooperation with God's way. They enable us more and more to live in a power that is strictly speaking beyond us, deriving from the spiritual realm itself. So here's what he's saying it is daily activities of mind and body that open us up to the presence and power of God. And the more we open ourselves up to his power and his presence, the more it enables us to do what he's asking us to do. These are the spiritual disciplines, the habits of Jesus. Now, as we look at his life, he had several, but they're never things he commands, right? Like he never orders his followers to do these things. It's not that he's opposed to commands. He commanded them to forgive, right? Seventy times seven. But when we look at these habits, there are more things he just did and then said, hey, come follow me. Are you weary and tired? Come here, let me, let me show you a different way to live. Are you exhausted and anxious and worried? Come, come follow me. Let me show you a different way. Just do the things I do. Are, are you depressed and afraid? Are you bogged down and hurried? Are you worn out? Do you, do you crack under the pressure of the expectations of others? Come with me. I'm going to show you a different way. Just, just follow me. And he, and he says this to the people around, just, just do what I do. Just come, follow me. And as we look at his life, I think there are four, four habits of the many habits of Jesus that are particularly helpful for unhurrying our soul. And I'm just going to deal with one of them today. And we're going to talk a little bit about Jesus' habit, Jesus' habit of going To a quiet place all alone to be with God. You're like, really? I came to church and this is what you got? Go be alone with Jesus? Yeah, that's what I got. That's it. it's, It's so ridiculously simple and yet it's the first thing that most of us cut out of our lives the moment we get a little bit busy. And we wonder, why don't I hear Jesus? Why don't I feel God? Why am I still struggling with anger? Why does this addiction still have a hold of me? Why is this so hard? Why do I keep fighting with my spouse? Why are my kids making me crazy? Hint, it's not your kids. It's probably someone else. Jesus loved going to the silent and solitary place. Silence and solitude were regular habits of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 we see the beginning of his ministry it says that the spirit led him into the wilderness to fast and pray for 40 days I'll give you a little context here jesus is 30 years old he spent 30 years growing up in the in the town of nazareth he has spent 30 years at least 20 of them knowing that he is the son of god with a purpose and a mission likely saying okay father is today the day Like, is the today the day we go just today the day we serve is today the day of the miracle today the day i start teaching he's like nope go back to the carpentry shop not today go back home not today not today. And then after 30 years, one morning, the father says, today's the day. Go, go get baptized. Go to your cousin. Go to John. He's baptizing people in the river. Go do that as an example to everyone. And he's baptized. And there's this powerful moment in Matthew chapter 4 where the voice of God booms into creation. And it's less this spiritual moment than it is like a commissioning. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. It's this launching pad for ministry. And you think he's about to go and teach and heal and do miracles. And instead, he goes into the desert and disappears for a month and a half alone and quiet. And in that month and a half, some things start to happen. We see as he emerges that he is centered as a human being is centered in who he is and what he's supposed to do. He is connected with God as a source of power and strength for life. He is anchored in his identity. He knows who he is. In fact, as he's tempted at the end of this time, it's all about his identity and he passes every test because he's anchored in the father for his identity. His calling is secured in the quiet place and he gives focus to his activity. We see it at the end of Mark chapter one, as they, as his disciples are like, hey, everybody wants to talk to you. You're a rock star. You got to come back and teach again. He's like, no, I'm going to go over here because that's what I'm supposed to do. He understood what he needed to say yes to and what he needed to say no to because of who he was. So I wonder, I just want to give you a question to ponder through the rest of this message. What are you saying yes to that is forcing a no to God? What are you saying yes to that is keeping you from saying yes to a quiet place? To an unhurried rhythm, to a life in Jesus, to worship, to the word, to prayer. What is it that you are saying yes to that is forcing a no to the people around you that matter most? Jesus understood because he went into that desert place, that wilderness. The Greek word there is Eremos, E-R-E-M-O-S. And it can be translated wilderness, or desert, or deserted place, or desolate place, or my favorite, just quiet place. Quiet place. Strangely, it is his favorite place. He keeps going back there. If we go to Mark chapter 1, we find Jesus' first day of ministry. So he's, he's done the 40 days, and he comes back. And jumps right into the work God has for him. And if you just read through that chapter, you see that he teaches and preaches. And then he casts out demons. And then he heals lots of people. And then he falls over asleep. And he wakes up. In Mark chapter 1 verse 35, he wakes up while it's still dark. And he leaves everyone else in the house. And he goes away to a solitary place. That word, Aramis again. He goes to a quiet place to pray. Everybody else in the house wakes up. Where is Jesus? Where did he go? He went alone to a quiet place. It mattered to him. You get that light, right? 40 days of quiet place, one day of work, and back to the quiet place. Mark chapter 6. He and his disciples now have been working They've been busy. It says that they were so busy with people they didn't even have time to eat. Every mama and daddy in the room knows exactly what that's like. It's so busy he didn't even get to eat. Like, what happened to that meal? And he says, let's go away to a quiet place. So they get in a boat. They start to head across the lake to go to a quiet place. But again, parents will understand this. the, The kids the people figured out what was happening and beat them there. Right? I love John Mark Colbert's guy. He's like, we don't even know what a quiet place anymore is anymore because of our phones. The only quiet place we might have is the shower. And those devices will soon be waterproof enough that we'll have them in there too. And the apocalypse will happen. It's like the world will fall apart because every quiet place will be gone. But they get over there and people just flood. So Jesus teaches them his compassion. But he's robbed of that need that he has. So he, he teaches them. In fact, he feeds thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And he sends his disciples away at the end of the day. He's like, here, you get the extras, get on the boat, start heading across, I'll meet you over there. Says goodbye to all the people. And here's what it tells us in Mark 6, 45. He went up to the mountaintop. I don't know about you. Whenever I've been on a mountaintop, there's nobody else there. <laughs> it's the quiet place, especially at night. He goes up to the quiet, solitary place to pray all night. He knew it was so important that he did whatever he had to do. Even when it was robbed of him, he went into the night to find the quiet place with God. Because it was going to nourish his soul. It was going to keep him focused. It was going to give him the ability to do what he needed to do. Silence and solitude fed his soul. Luke chapter 5, verse 15 says, Jesus often withdrew. There's this rhythm that starts to happen. You can actually trace it through the book of Luke. The busier that Jesus gets, the more times he sneaks away to the quiet place. The busier life gets for Jesus, the more time he takes in the quiet place. Martin Luther in the Reformation said, I'm so busy, I don't know how to do all the work I have to do unless I take three hours of prayer first. Now, granted, he probably was going to bed about 7 p.m. when it got dark, so he already had eight hours of sleep and was getting up for three hours of prayer before the day of work. But he understood something about Jesus that we miss. You see, when life gets busy for Jesus, the quiet place is his first go-to. When life gets busy for us, the quiet place is the first to go. It's the first thing that gets cut. It's the first thing we don't have time for. I'm just too tired to get up or stay up. I just, I just don't have time for that. We stop paying attention to our own souls and the needs of our souls and the presence of God and it starts to feed something. So the next thing we start to cut is other things that take care of ourselves. So we cut the gym and we cut time learning and we cut time for growth. And and then when we run out of that, we start cutting time from the people who matter most to us. We're so busy saying yes to all of these things that we cut more and more and more. And then we just say I'm good. I'm just so busy. What are you saying yes to that's forcing you to say no to the important things? Jesus, like... The word of God spoken that created everything that is Jesus. Jesus, Son of God, Messiah, Savior, you know, the one who died and came back, the only one in the world to ever do this. Like, this Jesus needed time, lots of it, in the quiet place. He needed lots of time in the silence to keep his priorities in order and to live within the freedom of the Father. And you think you don't? And I think I don't? Like Jesus, creator of everything needed to stop in silence and solitude and we think we do not. Also need that. We think we can keep our priorities right, our heart right, our mind right, our soul right, our relationships right without it? We think we can just keep saying yes to every opportunity that comes. We think we can just keep saying yes to every chance, to everything that comes, and it won't destroy us. Jesus wouldn't. He didn't. Silence and and solitude with God, it leads to freedom. It is the only place we learn to say yes to the right thing and no to the wrong thing. It may be a very good thing. It just may not be the right thing for me right now. It's where we learn the freedom to trust God, where we gain freedom from the obligations and the expectations of others. We gain the freedom to be who we were created to be. Now as we, as we get into this, there's really two kinds of silence, external and internal. St. Augustine said that that entering into silence is entering into joy. And again, every parent kind of understands. For me, one of the places, there are lots of places. There's cabins in the woods that I go to. And there's just a quiet, I shut the door to my office or I'll walk or I'll go out on a basketball court. But well, one of my favorite places is fishing. Like I get on the boat and this is why you haven't had, been invited to go fishing with me. There are two people on this planet who have an open invitation my son and my daughter. They're the only ones who get to go whenever they can. Other than that, I go by myself most of the time. Do you know why? Because other people talk. They want to talk. They want to tell you about their day. They want to tell you about fish they caught. They want to ask questions and they talk. And I go to fish to catch fish, but to go to be quiet. Something happens. I'm not praying. I'm not like like he's asked me before. Is this like special time with God? I'm like really, no. It's special time with fish, and water, and air, and silence. And something happens about an hour hour and a half into that, as I've just been listening, like not even intentionally, just quiet enough to be present to myself. And something in me starts to wake back up. Something in me begins to to get rooted again. Something in me begins to unfold and ideas and thoughts and prayers start to flow and it's not even intentional. It just happens by being quiet, alone. C.S. Lewis wrote this incredible book, The Screwtape Letters. And in this book, you have these, really these letters back and forth between Wormwood and, and Screwtape, two demons who are responsible for Bull for the temptation of this man. And and Wormwood is directly responsible and he's shearing and reporting back to Screwtape. And Screwtape gives him advice. And at one point, Screwtape writes, The devil's realm is a kingdom of noise. The devil's realm is a kingdom of noise. We will make the whole universe a noise. The enemy of our souls doesn't have to tempt us. He just has to make it loud enough around us that we don't hear the voice of God anymore. He just has to fill our world with noise and keep us reaching for another noise. Keep us from being bored, from slowing down, from being unhurried, from being silent, from being alone with God. Have you ever wondered why you feel so compelled to turn on the TV, to put in the headphones? Have you ever wondered why you leave the radio on in the car? Why you reach for this external noise? I mean, really, the external noise is a push of a button from being off and gone. I think perhaps, maybe, for me, you can decide if it's the case for you. I reach for the external noise to keep me from hearing the internal noise, the endless clatter of my mind. John Mark Comer writes that it's the mental chatter that just never shuts up that's hard to quiet. The running commentary in our heads on everything. The replaying of a lousy conversation with a friend, our lustful thoughts, our fantasy of revenge or power or another life. Our worry chipping away at our joy and peace with a hammer of what if, what if, what if? obsessing over hypothetical scenarios. You've never done this. I do this. Play out a conversation before it happens. Get angry about what they said that they didn't actually say. Role-playing the future. Idealizing or catastrophizing, dreaming of the perfect life so constantly that it poisons our real life. We have to learn to silence the internal noise. It's not easy. I'm not going to pretend that it is. It starts by silencing the external noise and actually paying attention to the internal noise. Contemporary people and philosophers and psychologists, they call it mindfulness, and they try to point back to Buddha, but it's really a lot more Jesus than Buddha. Start small. Like 15 minutes of silence. Turn everything off in a quiet place all alone for 15 minutes. It's torture to start with. And you may not actually be able to quiet your mind. We begin to do it by owning and paying attention to our thoughts and to our feelings and to our anxieties and our fears and worries. Naming them robs them of power. As long as they're swirling in the darkness of our minds, they have power over us. Naming them, confessing them, and giving them to God. Setting them aside once they've been named. Now, for me, I use a focusing thought sometimes to help me. If I want to stay focused on an idea connected, I'll focus on the word love. and God's love and let it bring me back every time I get lost in a thought. Or a feeling that's not helping draw me closer to Him. I'll use that word. Maybe it's joy or peace. Maybe it's the prayer we learned earlier. Be loved. For me, I, you've probably noticed. Well, I wear these beads all the time. They're, they're prayer beads. And I pray the Jesus prayer for every round one. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I pray it again. And again, focusing my attention on the God who has mercy on me, that I'm not worthy of it based on any action, simply His mercy, over and over again, slowly, in rhythm with my breathing. And then I'll get to the cross, and I'll pray the prayer Jesus taught me to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. You know, it's funny, I was actually a little nervous about praying that prayer, not because I thought I'd forget it, but I started teaching it to my kids when they were three years old. about About the time they could speak, they started learning those words, and we would pray them before they would go to bed, and they were tired, and so they would yawn, and then it would make me yawn, and so when we say it as a family, it usually is a little faster than that, and I always end up yawning at the same point, so it forces me to slow down and focus on what I'm saying and praying. And actually, pray those words. Learning to silence the internal noise is tough, but we find the silence in solitude. Solitude is not the same as isolation or hiding, though. See, solitude is engagement. Isolation is escape. Solitude is safety, and isolation is a danger zone. Solitude is how we open up to God and and isolation closes us off to everyone and it leads to temptation and making us very susceptible to temptation. Solitude is time set aside to intentionally nourish our souls with the presence of God, while isolation is what we crave as an escape when we have failed to nourish our souls. Isolation is inner emptiness, but solitude is inner fulfillment. It's time set aside for God. And every parent, every spouse, every friend knows that love is spelled T-I-M-E. That is love. Now, I just want to wrap up by kind of maybe asking some questions almost. You see, living without this habit produces certain things in us. And so as I read these, maybe ask yourself, is this something that shows up in you? Those who live without this limit feel distant from God. We feel distant from ourselves and those around us. When we fail to live within this, we have this constant undercurrent of anxiety that rarely goes away. We get exhausted. We turn to escapes as a cheap fix. We, we go to another glass of wine, another show, another episode online, social media, porn, the gym, shopping. Anything to give us a quick escape that our soul longs for in solitude with our Father. We just look for a cheap fix to get us by. Have you become easy prey for temptation? Is emotional health set in? Unhealth set in? Emotional unhealth looks like a bad temper that catches you at the wrong time. The worst time. Time you didn't really mean. It looks like a defensiveness whenever anyone points out an area of growth that's needed. Challenges you in anything. Anger and sadness are both not being able to tell the difference, always there. This is what happens when we live without this Jesus habit of silence and solitude. We're on a hair trigger. And we think I just I just need a day off. Just need a beer. Just need an hour in front of the TV. I just need a nap. No. need Jesus, living with this Jesus habit, you begin to find the quiet places in a day. You can pick them out and point them out and enter into them smoothly and quickly and find your soul nourished, sometimes in just a moment, sometimes it takes a long time. And you're willing to take that time, whether it's five minutes or it takes more than an hour, or you're squeezing it in when you can. It becomes a priority that the busier you get, the more time you enter into quiet. You're able, when you have silence and solitude and this connection with God, you're able to look into your heart and see the good, the bad, and the ugly and deal with it. And not run from it or deny it or hide from it. Or push it down, you see it, surrender it, move through it, and allow God to heal. Those who have this habit have tuned their ears to the voice of God. See, sometimes we come to church, we come to worship, we come to God, and we feel like He's heaping on another thing we need to do. Another obligation, another expectation. But this this is not about addition. It's not about adding something new to your life. It is actually about something you need to take away, subtract from your life. It's not about doing more. It's actually about not doing anything. It's not about your efforts. It's about resting, stopping, being still and quiet. So I ask you again. What have you been saying yes to that has necessitated or forced your no to God? And is it really worth it? So, this question began for me last Sunday as we were driving this seemingly unending drive to Orlando. And then he and I were talking about the need for Sabbath. And we'll get to Sabbath as one of these habits in a few weeks. And again, it was it's not something God commands. It's not something Jesus commands in the New Testament. he just modeled it. He did it. So I'm like, we're not very good at this. Our family is not good at this. And I just said, what do we keep saying yes to that's forced us to say no to Sabbath as a family? And we began to talk about some of the things and made one of the changes already that need to happen But it gets me wondering with silence and solitude. It was Jesus' first go-to and our first thing to go. What am I saying yes to that's forcing me to say no to God? Another way would be, what do I need to begin to say no to so that I can say yes to God? Time alone, silence, solitude. Every yes is a no. Even good things. The way I see it is it's just invitation. Jesus loved silence and solitude. It mattered to him to be in the quiet place. And he had a life that I want. And so I figure I have two options and they're probably the same two options you have. I can't figure out a third yet. One is this. I just keep doing life my way. Like I just I keep running, keep adding, keep doing. Take every opportunity that comes. There are more and more coming every week. It's gotten a little bit crazy and unexpected. And, I'm, and, and I can just keep doing that. And at best, I'll live an emotionally unhealthy life. Unaware of, of what I am and who I am, what I'm dealing, how I'm reacting to, to my wife or to my kids. I can, I can do that and go into emotional unhealth, become a poor leader at best. At worst, it's just spiritual oblivion. I'm doing the work of God without knowing God. I'm doing life without Him at worst. Or I can recapture this ancient habit silence and solitude and experience the life and love of Jesus see it's it's a means to an end any discipline is like I don't go to the gym on a regular basis because I like going to the gym I go to the gym so I'll live as long as possible and be healthy and enjoy life I enter into spiritual disciplines of silence and solitude so I can know and experience and live in the love and power of Jesus I can be who I was created to be, but the choice is mine. You see, there's some things in life that only you can do. No one else can do for you. And choosing silence and solitude is something you have to do. No one else can force it on you. No one else can demand it of you. It's your choice. It's just yours. And God loves you enough to give you the choice to do what you want with your life. But it's not without the consequences of that choice. It's just pure invitation. As we prepare to pray, I want to let you know that there is communion set up over here. It's not an obligation, an invitation. If you would like to receive in response, maybe it's a covenant to say, Okay, God, I'm going to stop long enough. I'm going to wait in that line without my phone, and I'm going to pick up that piece of bread. It's already cut for you. Just take a piece and dip it in the cup and eat it. And I'm going to do this as an act of covenant with you to begin adding silence to my life by taking something else away. I'm going to slow down. Maybe it's just a, an act of desperation. God, I need your grace. You said that this is your body and blood broken for me, and I need your forgiveness. Would you forgive me and give me your life again? It's just a response of hope that life can be different in Jesus. It's up to you. It's, it's here. There's no obligation, just invitation, if you would like to respond in that way. If not, there are homemade cookies on your way out. Grab those, a cup of coffee, have a beautiful afternoon. Maybe have a conversation with the good people around you. Slow down a bit. Take a nap. No one will know. And if they do, who cares? Let's pray. Father, you have been preaching this message at me, to me, with me for a little while now, and I don't like it. It's pretty miserable. To have this mirror held up in front of me and see what I've made of my life and all of this busyness and rush. I don't really want that. I really don't want hurry to steal and kill and destroy my life and relationships and work. I believe you've given me and each of us in here purpose. And that we enter into that purpose as we enter into time with you. It centers us. It anchors our identity. It secures our calling. So, God, would you help us to simply do whatever you're asking us to do? Not by our efforts or intentions or doing, but just to follow you, to match our way to your way as your apprentices. Our desire is to love you and be loved. To love others with that love. Fill us, we pray, that we might overflow. Amen. Amen. Receive, if you'd like, your dismissed to enjoy this beautiful day. Go slow.